Uh, good morning, everybody. This is the last week that that song is going to be stuck in your head for the rest of your day, okay? It's the last week in this series. Uh, hey, it's cardigan weather. Is anybody else excited about that? Is I am? Yes, it's cardigan weather. Yeah, nerd. I can hear it now. Like, I want to get those brown patches. I feel like those brown patches on here would make me, I don't know. Hey, uh, I want to bring up something I, I didn't address last week, but I went through something this week that I, I just wanted to kind of speak about it. Last Sunday, the, the 5th of November, it, it is the annual day for prayer for the persecuted church. It's called International Persecuted Church Prayer Day. Um, here's the thing. Sometimes in America, I think that we forget this. There are people who die to come sit in a church like this and other places. We, we find this to be really easy, comfortable to come to church. And, you know, sometimes kids can make getting to church difficult. But we have an easy road. There, there are churches in foreign lands that um, have been arrested organizationally because they chose to meet. Uh, we have countries like Somalia and Sudan and uh, North Korea, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan. Those are the top five persecuted churches in the world where literally people have died to get to church. And so uh, I just would regret not reminding us that this isn't just a privilege that we get to do, but it is an honor to be a part of because so many people don't have this luxury just to walk into church and wear your cardigans and, and, and rejoice. Um, I went through a foundations as a ministry downtown. They have an annual persecuted church experience where you get to feel like you're a part of a, a church that's in these five countries and you have to ask for it. You have to have a secret password and knock on a door and they give you a little bracelet and you go into this little basement room and, you know, it just made me reflect on how awesome we have it here. And, and I thought about days like Veteran Day, Veterans Day, Saturday, and and just how grateful I am for our service members who make this possible, that we can, we can openly worship our God and not have to worry about people barging in and arresting us. Um, and so I would, I would be amiss not to remind us of the beauty that we have here and how grateful we are for those who have sacrificed to make that possible for us. I hope that that stirs something in all of us to appreciate what the Lord has, been, has given to us and been gracious to us in this country with. And so this week, uh, we are going to kind of wrap up our sermon series in this area of connected my life in the church. I have really enjoyed this. I found it to be really timely. This would be really timely for us. This is something we planned six months ago. I, I find this to be timely for us. And so last week, we walked into service. This week, we're going to talk about how we're connected through our prayers. And, and look, we all want to have a healthy, robust prayer life, but sometimes we kind of misunderstand how we put that in practice. I, I, I have loved this experience with my kids. Uh, we have just grown in a rhythm where we gather in somebody's bed at, at night and we, we just go around and we, we pray and we ask what they want to pray for. My daughter's three. Uh, Ellie's not communicating yet. She's five months. We expect that in a couple months, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I, I love my little girl's heart. Um, and she, she has taught me more about life than I probably was ever prepared for. And so when we ask her what she wants to pray for, she always lists her cousins, and then she goes around and lists every stuffed animal in her bed, like <laughs> lion, and she, like, why do kids get, they get attached to like, the really the, the silliest thing. Like my daughter has a skunk that's a stuffed animal. She named it uh, Skunky, obviously. 
That's what you name a stuffed skunk. And she just like, that thing's everywhere. It goes everywhere with her, and she prays for skunky every night. Uh, so, but what the conviction in that was for me is that my daughter never asked about herself. She never is like self-seeking in her prayers. She's always concerned about everybody else around her. And I know that she's three, but I fall short in my prayer life because all of my prayers tend to revolve around my needs. And, and my daughter modeled for me what a healthy and vibrant prayer life really looks like. It's bent towards others. And so that's what we want to surround ourselves with today in understanding that if we're going to have a faithful church, it is going to be contingent on it being full of people who are faithful in prayer. It's vital for the members of this church, people who call this church home, to pray for one another, to pray for their leadership, and pray for the advancement of the gospel in the communities that they live in. And look, we don't fully underestimate or understand I should say, understand like, how prayer always works. There's some magic. There's some mystery with it. But we know that the Lord has commanded us to pray, and we know that he works through our prayers. And so we have to take those words, heed those words, and place that habit into our life. Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you guys know Charles Spurgeon, but he was a mega pastor before mega pastors were invented. He lived in the 1800s in England. He had a church of over 10,000 people. Uh, he is known as the Prince of Pe Preachers, one of the greatest pastors to have ever lived. And his ministry was marked, and his, his ministry and his success was marked by prayer. When folks would ask Spurgeon why he had so much success, this is what he would say. And I'm going to fight this. I really want to, I want to speak this in a British accent, but that's just the quirky me that wants to do that. But I'm not going to do that. He would say this, because my people pray for me. And that seems like a novel, store-bought answer. But Spurgeon believed it, and he relied on it, and it was true for him. Consider this story. Uh, there were five young college men who came to hear the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon, in London one day, and they came to his church early. They opened the door and were greeted by a man who invited them to, to explore the building. And so they agreed, these five young college kids. And then he asked them if they would like to see the heating plate. And a heating plate at this time was, was the vessel that they used to, to warm the, the building. And, and these kids weren't interested in heating plates, but they didn't want to like, offend the guy that giving them a tour. And so they said yes. And so this man opened this door, and they went down the stairs underneath the sanctuary. And he opened this small little door, and he said, hey, here's our heating plate. And these students were struck because what they saw was 700 believers who had gathered before the service and bowed on their knees to pray for the upcoming service that Spurgeon was about to be a part of. That was what they called their heating plate. Spurgeon believed that prayer is essential to everything. E.M. Bounds, who's a a Methodist preacher in the 1800s. I, I do have an affinity for 1800s preachers and, and pastors, but uh, he wrote that, that what the church needs today is not more machinery or better new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer, mighty men in prayer. And, and I think that these words that were written in the 1800s are still accurate today in 2017. What we need as a church is not some new program or method, some new technology. 
but rather men and women who are committed to allowing the Holy Spirit to use them, being mighty in prayer, vigilant in their prayer life. It is not by accident that the Apostle Paul's, it's not by accident that his greatest uh, expression in his letters to his ch the churches, in the little letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, the greatest thing that he wrote about was that people would pray for him. He always invited people to pray for him and his brethren because it matters. Have you ever felt the power of having brothers and sisters pray for you? Have you ever had the feeling where you knew that people are praying for you? I hope the Lord gives that to you. I have felt that. I have been encouraged by this congregation. You have encouraged me. You have lifted me up in struggle. One of the most profound moments of my life that will always be one of the most profound moments of my life is when I pulled into my driveway some six weeks ago and I saw this. I saw a sea of people from this congregation that chose to take time out of their day to come and wrap my house hand in hand and pray for my family in this church. I will never forget that, this side of eternity. I will never forget that. We need to learn how we pray for our, other, our brothers and our sisters in more profound and robust ways. When we take time out of our days to pray for one another, when we partner with one another in prayer, it creates all sort of new realities in our hearts that weren't present there in the beginning. We build love and care for one another. You cannot pray and uplift people and it not stir up more concern, more compassion, more love for those brothers and sisters in your life. It just does that. And it also helps us to put our needs and our wants second and put other people before us. And that reflects the very, very heart of God. And so we all know like, prayer is a noble thing. It's something that we value. It even has its own persona. There's nothing else in Christianity that has its own life connected to it. People talk about, your, how's your prayer life? Nobody uses that term in anything else. How's your prayer life? It has its own persona. But we all value it. We all know that we need it. We know that it's essential, but we lack the patience and we lack the margin in our lives to make it a practice. And so here's a little issue that we bump up into when it comes to prayer. The reality is, is we as Christians can become desensitized to the obligations of, of being a follower. And, and this is what I'm saying. That there are some foundational things that we know to be true that are so foundational and so basic, like we just pass over them. Prayer is so foundational and so basic to our authentic faith that sometimes we miss it. You, you may hear that in sports, where well, these guys have forgotten the fundamentals of sports and they just are trying to score the basket. But as Christians, we talk about prayer so much and it's so much in our conversations that we kind of just forget about it. We become desensitized to its importance. Meaning this is that it becomes more about our words than it is about our actions. And so what that creates is this. And I've had to challenge myself with this this week. Is that we have lots of people that use the phrase, well, I'm praying for you in very unauthentic ways. I'm guilty of that. You know, you're in a conversation and you say, well, I'm going to pray for you. But are you really? Are you really going to pray for me? Or are you going to do what I can be guilty of doing sometimes is saying, well, I'll pray for you, which just enables me to keep a distance from that mess. 
well, I can pray for you. I'm not going to get involved with that mess, but I'll say that I'm going to pray for you, but I'm not really going to pray for you. I may think of you for 10 seconds. Sometimes we use that phrase to create distance so we don't have to get messy. And sometimes we use, well, I'll pray for you to end conversations. <laughs> uh, I'll pray for you. Whew, that guy could have gone forever, you know. And so these are things that we have to be, like, convicted of. I, I've been convicted. When I say, if I'm going to pray for you, am I going to pray for you? We, we use the comments on Facebook, like, praying for you or prayers, like it's almost the Christian version of the like button. And so are we authentic to, to, to what we're saying? Are we actually doing the work of praying for people? Or are we just verbalizing it? And so I have had to search my heart in those areas. Look, there's a fine line that we walk in in the Christian life between an empty tradition and an impactful discipline. Prayer is something that we can mean well in, but not really practice what we preach. And so we have to change our understanding about how we pray and understand that prayer really does matter. I, I personally know that prayer matters. Many of you know that. And I can tell you this, it matters to God. And, and look, sometimes we can get in this funk. Maybe you've been in this funk with me. Is why do I even need to pray? Because if God is sovereign, and he knows my heart, he knows my needs, he knows my wants, if he's in control, then why do I have to verbalize what's going on? Is it even going to matter to God? Is it already kind of just out there and I just walk in it? Why do I pray? And, and when I think of those thoughts, I often turn to Luke 18. In Luke 18, it's the, the parable of the persistent widow. And, and this is what it says in Luke 18. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but, after, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man... Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. And so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, he will find faith on earth. And so what we get out of this verse is God saying, bother me. Bother me. Keep praying persistently because it can change things. We are not robots where everything is out, laid out in front of us. I certainly, certainly believe that God has more control than I'm willing to recognize in my life. But we're not robots. We see when we read the pages of Scripture, uh, we see a story of a supreme God who has left things to us that are contingent upon our thinking to change those things. He has left things contingent on our thinking. He gave you a brain, and he gave it to use it to move things forward. He has given us things and prepared things in advance for us contingent on our work to do those things to make those things happen. And I believe he has also left things on earth and designed things on earth that are contingent on our prayers to move them forward. There are three areas that we cooperate with God. Work, thought, and prayer. And so we have a responsibility to pray, and prayer does change things. And so we know it matters, 
but we don't always understand, understand how we pray effectively that can really foster a connection between us and each, o- each other, all of us in this room. And so to, to bring some understanding in that, I'm just going to go to Matthew, or Matthew 6, and we're just going to look at the words of Jesus and how he prayed and, and bring some conclusions and some understanding out of that. So we're all well aware of the, the Lord's Prayer, and this is what it says. Let's pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so inside of that prayer, there are five shifts that I think are important for us to move towards to produce a a faith uh, in a prayer life that is bent towards other people, bent towards caring about our brothers and sisters as we come to the Lord. And so five shifts. The shift one is this, is we must move from my father to our father. And so look, look, our prayer starts with a personal relationship with God. It comes out of a love that God has for us and our love for him. Personally, it's our love for what he's done for us personally. But spiritual discipline in prayer is not just for the individual. And so in teaching us how to pray, look, by the way, my brain moves at 60,000 miles a minute. And so if you ever hear my words not catching up with my brain, just know that it's there. So in teaching us how to pray, Jesus says, our Father. Our Father. Actually, not one time does Jesus tell his disciples to, to address God with me, my, or I. Never once. He always, always exclusively uses ours, we's, and us. That's what he uses. It's not individualistic to God. We all have one Father. We all have access to him, and we are to be connected in a way that our prayers should be concerned with the we's and the us and the ours. And so what this tells us is that we have to move past this hyper-individualism in our culture, like where everything is about myself. And if we're honest, if we just have an honest moment in our hearts, we focus way too much of our prayer life that may be very small on our own needs. It's about supplication, supplies, things that we need for us, and we spend very little thinking about other people. Do you speak the us's and the we's and the R's in your life? Are you praying for others as much as you're praying for yourself? When I think of people who are really praying for other people, like, I think of mamas. I, I just think of moms out there. And if you're a son or a daughter and you have a mom in this room, know that she's been praying for you for like 30 years. Mothers just, they just pray for their kids. It's selfless. Just pray. And I think that that's a great picture of, of where we need to move our hearts, that we would pray that the Spirit would move, that we would have that kind of prayer relationship with each other, that we are just lifting each other up in prayer and concern based upon our love for each other. Shift number two is this. We must move from my will to your will. My will to your will. If we place a value on God's standard, if we put his statutes above our own, if we humble ourselves and say, not my thoughts, Lord, but your thoughts, not my way, but your way, not my will, but your will, his desires will become our desires. 
We spend way too much time pursuing our little kingdoms and our little empires and not a sufficient amount of time focusing on God's kingdom and his will. We have to, to get outside of looking at our little bubble and think about what we might pray in existence for the kingdom of God. Uh, when's the last time that you have thought of God's will in your, your prayers? When's the last time you've prayed for the kingdom in your prayer? If you, I was challenged, if you mapped out your life on a calendar, your prayer life on a calendar, and you had an inventory that denoted whether you're praying for your will or God's will, how would that map look? I probably would be embarrassed, to be honest with you, about what my prayer inventory would look like. Your will, Father. Shift number three is we must move from future storehouses to present-day poorhouses. It's a point that needs to be made because it's relevant, uh, particularly today. Jesus teaches that it is absolutely appropriate for us to petition to God for our needs and our desires, our personal needs. But the word daily in Greek means sufficient for today. It means sufficient for today. And in Proverbs, there's this great saying in Proverbs 30. It says, give me neither poor nor rich, poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. If I grow, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And so the point in all of that is that in our community, we have needs that go unmet every day. And the point of having more than enough isn't to get more stuff or just plan for a better retirement, which is it's not unwise to do that. The purpose of wealth and riches is to allow God to use them to bless other people in our lives. If we have more than enough, don't always assume that we just need to look into our future. If we have more than enough, then we need to look at today. God, how do I take what I have been given that's more than enough and bless those who are around me that may need it? It needs to be a prayer of our hearts. There was a guy named uh, Rich Mullins. Maybe you recognize that name. He was an artist in the early 90s and mid-90s. Uh, he died tragically in a plane wreck in like 97. But Mullins, he always, I was, I was really young but in my faith, but I heard about Mullins, I heard his story, and it intrigued me. And what intrigued me is this, is he had, he had great stature. He was a pretty well-known guy, and he was well compensated for his music and his gifts. But all of that money went to an accountant, and Rich Mullins received the minimum wage for his services. He would have his accountant figure out his hours, and he would give him minimum wage. And everything else, he would give away. Mullins took what is sufficient for my needs today very seriously. And I'm not asking that you live in that conviction. Right? That was between Rich Mullins and God. But if we focused our hearts on God and, and said, Lord, give me what I need for today, and, and let me look outwardly to see how I can bless other people, Lord, uh, help me to pray for for those people and, and where you might want me to bless people. Shift number four is this. We must move from I'm offended to I forgive. Uh, Jesus taught that we need to forgive others because we have been forgiven. Part of the nuance of being a part of God's family is that God would want to make himself known by his people's forgiveness of others. In fact, the word would say that we bring sorrow. We bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit when we refuse to let him Use us to love others, including those who have hurt us. 
And so the bottom line is, is that our personal fellowship with the Lord is in jeopardy if we are not forgiving those who have offended us, those who have sinned against us. We can't walk in a healthy fellowship with God if we refuse to give others. And, and so a, a healthy prayer life revolves around us moving from I am offended to I forgive, that we would pray to God that he would give us all the tools and all the substance to heal that wound that you may have in your life and move towards a day where you can say, I forgive you, brother and sister. Not only that I forgive you, but I'm going to pray for you and pray blessing upon you. The fifth shift is we must move from personal safety to community concern. The final phrase is pretty brief. Jesus tells us to be aware of the enemy and pray for deliverance. And look, we do that best in the context of community. Uh, when I think uh, of community, if I was going to paint a picture of what I biblically think it looks like, I would, I would reference soldiers in a foxhole. Soldiers in a foxhole and the community that they have. And it's not community that we know. It's communitas, the Latin word. And communitas in Latin means a sense of survival, of mission, where togetherness is essential. We want communitas. And, and the prayer shift happens for us when we begin not to solely just pray, God, protect me. God, hey, will you just protect me today? But it moves when we say, Lord, protect us that we would concern ourselves with the spiritual protection and well-being of the community that's around us, that we would pray for our brothers and sisters in a way that would increase strength and stamina in our brothers and sisters. But not only that, but it's also willing to answer that prayer if we need to. We need to be okay with being the answer to that prayer being willing to risk something, going the extra mile, especially if it means looking out for others' safety and well-being and interest inside of our congregation. And so look, let's just kind of wrap it up with this. If we're being honest, we all could use a better prayer life. Nobody in here is going to say, I'm nailing this thing. And the reason that we most often don't have a healthy prayer life it is because we're, we're too self-dependent on ourselves. We're too self-dependent. Prayer, in some regards, is a posture of like a little child who's completely dependent on his father for everything. We forget that in our lives. Like, what do we have that really is ours? What have we earned that's really mine? Isn't the Lord good to us? He has given us what we need. He, what do we own that is not his? And sometimes we forget that in our own lives that the Lord has cared for us so well, he's taken care of us so well, that he's given us what we need, and we lack the understanding of our dependency on him. You're not that good, but he is. And our prayer life has to start with a heart that's bent on dependency on the Lord and everything, and focusing in that dependency on him and his will and other people. And so uh, I'm going to just do some challenge here today for you. You're going to hear uh, a lot about pray, or praying and, and prayer life in this church going forward. It's something that we are going to concern ourselves with a lot. Uh, over the last 30 days as we've walked through the season, we have asked our eldership and our staff and some members of our congregation to, to, do, a 30 day, to do 30 days of fasting and prayer. And I can tell you this, it's been huge, monumental in this season for us. But I had a conviction in that this week. Like, why are we doing that for 30 days? Why is that just a 30-day thing? 
why are we not doing that 365? Why, why don't we have the brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, why, are, why don't we have somebody every day that is praying and fasting for this church and the people of this church and our needs? And so that's the challenge that is set before us today. It is I'm going to ask you to consider that, brothers and sisters, that you would take time, whether it's once a month, once a year, to spend a day from fasting from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., whether that's giving up your Diet Coke for 12 hours or giving up food all in general, but to focus your heart in those hunger cravings and that, I need that Coke, and direct that to the Lord in affection for this church and our brothers and sisters. And so here's the challenge. In the back, in that, on the hub, there is a, a paper. All you got to do is put your name and email address, and we're going to send you a link. And it's going to have a calendar. And it's going to have every day. And you're just going to pick a day. Nobody's going to know you're picking that. We don't need anybody to know that you're praying and fasting on that day. And here's the good part for you and I who have a little bit of ADD. It's going to remind you. It's going to remind you to do that. Could you imagine? I mean, if we had people every day that were praying and fasting for this church, I mean, that honors the Lord. And I am excited to see what the Lord does out of that. And so I have really, guys, know this. I've really enjoyed walking through this series with you. I've really enjoyed it myself. And, I, and as we kind of wrap this series up where we're focused inward, we're going to go into a season where we're going to focus outward. Uh, I, I just want to say this. Many of you have asked me in the last four weeks, with all the changes, like, Steve, what, what can I do? I have just sensed in here, I don't know if you guys sense this, there's a wrestling uh, the Lord is doing in a lot of people's hearts, like, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? I have had a profound amount of people say, I want to help. What do I need to do? I know there's lots of things that need to be done, and I know there's not a lot of people to do them. And so here's what we're going to be asking you to pray for for the next few weeks. We were going to have a family business meeting today. We're not going to have that. December 3rd, we're going to have a family business meeting. And here's what I want you to pray about for those next three weeks. We are creating teams of people in this church to use your gifts. We have gone far too long without using some of your gifts in this church. And so we are going to build teams that are focused on outreach. we got a super service Saturday coming up. We're excited about those things. We're creating a team that would focus solely on that event and make that a quarterly focus in our church. And we want people who are bent on the hearts of others and the needs of others to join us in that team and help build that. We want to build a team called Life Care where we have people that, that love to care for the needs of others, that maybe want to go to the nursing homes and the hospital and visit people who are in need, maybe want to provide funeral meals, maybe want to, to see how they can pray for one another. And we're going to be building a team around maintenance. There's a lot of handy guys in here. There's also a lot of non-handy guys in here, if we're honest. We have needs around here, light bulbs and things like that, that you could gift the church in that. And so we're asking you to take ownership and figure out how you can use your gifts going forward because I'm telling you, I'm excited where God is taking us. And uh, it's going to be about you. It's not going to be about me or, or, or worship band or, or anybody that's on staff in this church. It's about us helping equip you to do the work of ministry. And so we're asking you to pray about all of those things because that's where it starts. And so to end our time together, I thought it would be wise for us to just pray as a congregation. And we're going to use those great words, the Lord's Prayer, and we're just going to, we're going to pray this together. Would you stand with me? We'll just stand and we'll pray and the band will come out. Let's do this together.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.